Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today you are going to hear a replaying of a recent roundtable discussion that we held. Uh, it was live streamed on YouTube. It's still there. If you go to the Global Aquaculture Alliance YouTube channel, you can watch this um, and follow along with any of the comments in the chat section. But we brought together a group of people from various levels of the seafood supply chain to talk about how the seafood supply chain globally is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And this roundtable is called Crisis Response. How is the seafood supply chain responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? So Rather short title. Yeah. <laughs> so we brought on, first of all, Molly Jakes. She's the supply chain transparency manager for BAP here at GAA. Jason Carter is the assistant CMO at Bayang Aquatic Group. Sarah Preet Singh is the QA manager at Devi Seafoods. Matthew Grolnick is the director of QA at Atlantic Capes Fisheries. And Victor Garrido is the quality assurance director at Quirch Foods LLC. So pretty good cast of characters here for this roundtable. Lots of different point of views and a pretty cool conversation. So I think you guys, if you're working in the seafood supply chain, I think you'll find it very interesting, and I think you'll uh, you know you may get some tips on ways that you can improve your supply chain during these times. Do you guys have anything to say about this before we get into it? No, I think you hit the nail on the head on that one. All right, well, enjoy this conversation, and if you want to watch the previously live streamed version of it, remember it is on the GAA YouTube page or in the video collection that we have on Vimeo, which we will link to both of those, so you can see the other roundtable that we did previously this year and all of our webinars that may interest you as well so make sure you check that out and we will talk to you next week thank you so much welcome to the aquademia podcast our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways i mean we desperately need to eat more seafood this is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Thank you to everyone who is joining us um, live on YouTube, or if you're watching this afterwards, thank you so much for coming on and and, uh, hearing what we have to say. This is the second roundtable, live stream roundtable event that GAA has done. Um, The first one we did back in January, and that was about bringing wild-caught and aquaculture sides of the industry together to start creating a unified voice. And it was a really great discussion topic. And I would urge everyone to go back and check that out. Uh, We'll supply links afterwards. But this roundtable is titled Crisis Response. What is the seafood supply chain doing um, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? So how is the supply chain responding to this and doing what they can to stay strong? And we have brought a number of people here from around the world and from different kind of experiences and different aspects of the industry to talk about this and just get a discussion going. So just like the last one, this is an open format discussion. If you have something that you'd like to say, just put your hand up, give me a little wave and I'll make sure that I get to you next. My name is Sean O'Loughlin. I work in the education department here at GAA and um, we are joined today by Matthew Grolnick, who is the QA director at Atlantic Cape Fisheries. How's it going, Matthew? Great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Jason Carter, who's the assistant CMO at Bayang Investment Group, coming out of China. Hey guys, thanks for having me on today. 
Uh, Sarapreet Singh from he's the general manager at Debbie Seafoods. He's in India. Hi, Sarapreet. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you for keeping me on. Uh, Victor Garrido is the QA director at Quirsh Foods. Hi, Victor. Thanks for coming. Hey, how are you? And uh, representing BAP and GAA here, we have Molly Jakes, who is the supply chain transparency manager for, for BAP. Hi, everyone. And Molly, I want to, you know, let's get right into this conversation. I want to have you start things off because, you know, you, you helped me plan this. So, you know, you know, you got all the discussion topics on here, but um, me and Molly do a lot of these kind of things on here. So I know I can trust her to start off, start us <laughs> off on a, on the right foot. So why don't you go ahead and start this conversation? How is the seafood supply yeah. chain responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Sure, I'm happy to start us off. I know I just, again, thank you everyone for coming on the round table. Um, you know, we thought it was really important. I think oftentimes in seafood, we forget to tell all the really positive things that are going on in our industry and what we're doing um, to make the world a better place. So um, we're so glad that you're here so that you can contribute and, and show our community out there what, what seafood is really capable of and how we navigate these big challenges that come up. So I just wanted to start us off today um, just to talk a little, just quickly about what from the BAP and the GAA side of things, what we've been doing um, since the start of the, or the, I don't you know, where, what's the start really of the pandemic, but since it's um, what we've been really doing to, to engage our customers. So so from, from our standpoint, we've been engaging, reaching out to our facilities that are around the globe. Um, we've had senior managers um, on those calls and, and just connecting with our customers, finding out what it is they are doing, um, how they are actually being impacted by the COVID-19 crisis um, to have that discussion and figure out what we can do to support them. Um, and navigate these rough waters. And the same thing goes, so when I talk about our customers, we're talking about our facilities that are certified around the globe um, or that we work with. And also from the market side of things, there have been obviously, if you look at um, the retail marketplace and grocery stores versus the restaurant business and, and the different segments of the market that are selling seafood out to consumers. Um, those are also part of our customer base. So we also are engaging in conversations with them to find out what their challenges have been. And then together, figuring out how we can work to either connect new people or, or you know, connect each other through to figure out how we can get through this together, right? So um, that's what we've been doing from the GAA and BAP perspective is really engaging our customers out around the world in all the different areas of seafood to figure out how we can support them during the crisis. Um, so I'm excited to hear from each of you on the roundtable of what in your current in your business what you are doing to navigate. So I don't know, Sean, is that if there's someone who you know wants to kind of step in and talk a little bit about maybe how initially how you've been impacted and and the kinds of things you're doing. Yeah, would anyone like to uh, weigh in on kind of some of the changes that they've had to make or, or things that they've run into since this has happened? Well, I, I guess I, I guess I can break the ice uh, on that. The it's interesting interesting enough uh, because uh, um, with the, some shortages of, of protein in the marketplace and the uh, 
also pricing goes uh, going through the roof with some of the uh, the traditional um, beef pork poultry. The people may have gone more into uh, uh, seafood because it was it was readily available and also it, you know prices were sort of stable. Uh, so we've seen a, a, a small spike in uh, in consumption uh, at the retail level of uh, of seafood. So so we the way that we have adapted um, or adopted is been a lot of changes internally um, to how to handle a, a the warehouse distribution part of it uh, to make sure that there's you know the physical separation and and all that and that. Uh, um, that has uh, at the beginning was a big headache. Now people are getting used to it, and they are, and then also uh, the on the auditing part um, that we have been affected primarily. Uh, we were doing uh, a routine audits uh, um, to our suppliers, and those have either been switched to internal quality control uh, uh, from the plants or even remote audits uh, uh, via uh, sampling via uh, Skype and, and then handing the samples to the, um, to the, the, the companies uh, at the front gate, and then they have to do it at their labs. Uh, um, so so those are that, that I, I think have been the biggest two changes we have to do. One, at uh, the facility here that, uh, in our DCs, and the other one is uh, dealing with the uh, remote audits. Jason, what's been going on over in China um, in regards to the seafood supply chain? Because, um, you know, I think things kind of started off there with some of the um, the restrictions and stuff. And then they kind of also started to lighten up a little bit over in China before they have over here. So what, what's been going on with the supply chain over there? Have you seen significant um, disruptions or have you had to make any big changes or adaptations? Uh, well, we sort of come out of the coronavirus a little bit earlier than, than the rest of the world. And and um, to Victor's point about retail, um, we've experienced a huge demand in retail, um, <clears throat> which means we've had to uh, put more people on our lines to uh, accommodate the extra packaging that we have to do. Um, with food service being down, that type of product is a standard IQF packed into a into a 10-pound box, for example. And, and with the retail side being up, the way it is, um, we had to put more people on the line, packing fillets into vacuum packed bags and then putting them into one and two pound bags in order to get uh, product out in time. Um, majority of what we're doing at the moment is retail and that's sort of to Victor's point, the, the spike there. So if we take that back to the supply from China, um, that's what we're seeing at the moment, uh, huge demand. Matt, can you talk a little bit about um, how the you know the retail food service how that has shifted um, or not shifted but how how that has also impacted you here in North America? Yeah, sure. Um, we were already a a retail heavy operation, so we what we found ourselves uh, we found ourselves having to do is is address and uh, I'm sorry, satisfy our customers that had lost uh, the business from some of the companies that they that they are doing business with that were that had a majority food service and were basically just ceasing operations. So we picked up 
uh, a lot of new retail, um, similar to what uh, uh, what was just said uh, on the China side. We uh, we picked up more retail. We picked up some um, uh, added some species that we haven't done before uh, to fill in the gaps. Yeah. So supporting, you know, obviously you said the segment of the market that's really struggling right now, you know, on the food service right. side, the ability for you to support um, on retail. That's great. Right. Yeah. And just so we get an idea of what's going on, you know, everywhere, Sarah, Preet, can you just share a little bit uh, of kind of what, what changes have come about in India? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think initially uh, since uh, we had a lockdown since, uh, around 22nd of uh, March. So initially when it started off, I think the first one week, 10 days, almost everything had come to a standstill. And uh, I think the factories also ceased operations. But uh, since the government uh, prioritized uh, seafood as an essential service, so I mean, we could uh, uh, start back uh, production uh, quickly, but uh, with uh, limited uh, workforce. And uh, and from uh, mid-April, I think uh, the industry started uh, slowly started to move up. So uh, during this time, we could see that I mean the entire uh, supply chain was uh, affected, right from farming where the farmers uh, had uh, a temporary uh, issue with uh, supply of feed because of the logistics and uh, stockings, uh, new farm stockings also going down because of the restrictions and. Uh, hatcheries not being able to uh, uh, deliver seeds. So this was, uh, I mean, the two, three weeks we had this issue. After that, uh, I think uh, since the logistics and all started opening up, the, we could slowly uh, commence operation, but uh, initially it was only low, uh, headless product, like the low value added products. But as the workforce uh, started to increase, I think uh, this month, I think we are picking up slowly. I mean. Uh, we are sort of like 70 to 80 percent of a regular operation and uh, we have seen that uh, the food service segment actually came to a standstill but uh, retail orders from our retail customers uh, orders had uh, picked up and uh, also we see that they are now because <coughs> of all the disruption there is uh, international shipping lines and uh, we actually are having now to plan for longer lead times for our in inventory and uh, now, <clears throat> this actually is an opportunity for us to, I mean, uh, work more closely with our suppliers and vendors, and as well as customers to understand the linkages and so any few future disruptions what we have. So at least we can uh, anticipate uh, where they could be uh, holdups, and so uh, we plan for uh, continuity. Has anybody had to actually change? their supply chain, who they're selling to or buying from because of some of these disruptions? No? Not really. I mean, uh, we have, I mean, uh, stuck around with the same set of customers. That's, that's good news that you, you haven't had to make those, um, some of those changes. Uh, I'm curious if anyone has seen any new innovations um, that have come about because of the this and some of these disruptions that we've faced. I think we've made it pretty clear that the seafood industry itself did did not actually take a really big hit from um, the you know the the uh, repercussions from this pandemic that is still going on. Um, but are any of you aware of any um, kind of newer innovations or or big 
big, uh, I guess you could say benefits that have come out of the situation that we're in right now? Have you seen anything that has caught your eye that maybe you, you're looking to implement in the future or you're looking to just get a little more information on? Sarah, yeah, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, what we have seen initially is uh, at least uh, certification bodies have uh, permitted uh, remote audits. So that's a welcome measure. So because the travel and all is actually uh, across different states, it's not very clear because of the quarantine measures. So <clears throat> this is one uh, good step. Already we had a chain of custody audit, which was remotely done. So that went well. And we understand also farm and hatchery level also, they are permitting the audits to be done remotely. And the second part uh, uh, for us, what we have seen is uh, from the government side, there have been a lot of, uh, when we ship out, there are a lot of certificates which are to be issued manually. So they have facilitated for application of the certificates uh, online and issue, they have started uh, issuing digital certificates which probably wouldn't have happened before. So that is a significant way. I mean, uh, some process uh, <clears throat> uh, time we save on that. And I think going forward also, I think the <clears throat> digitalization of uh, various processes will be key. Molly, go ahead, Victor. I'm sorry. They, uh, um, I, I think we've seen similar similar things. Uh, uh, the advances of uh, uh, remote uh, remote audits, um, as well as some some different gadgets that uh, will be implemented, not necessarily right now, but in the near future in all factories. You know, some separation between the uh, workers and. Uh, uh, like physical separation between workers uh, and other things that are going to do, and and definitely the the I think he has uh, re reassure reemphasize the need for good um, manufacturing practices. You know the the hygienic practices within workers, uh, uh, the the also the different chemicals that that you are allowed or not allowed to use in the uh, in food factories and and things like that. Awesome. Jason, you had something you wanted to say? Uh, yeah, it's not really an innovation, but um, the whole sort of model for tilapia in, in, in China has changed um, with this huge increase in, in demand from, from retail. Um, the fish fillets that we print to retail bags uh, are, are of smaller sizing. So one of the major things that have happened is at a farm base, the price for smaller size raw material and the price for bigger size raw material is actually the same. And in some cases, bigger size raw material is cheaper than smaller size raw material. And so a farming model in China has changed because of um, what's happening in the U.S. with retail demand. So that's pretty interesting. Molly, what have, what have you seen, you know, from your end? Because you do a lot of work with the, um, the suppliers and the retailers kind of as the middleman between um, certifications and the supply chain and stuff. So what have you seen that, that people have, what reactions have you seen that people have been having to this? Um, you know, it's, it's I, I, I was going to touch on that, but I was going to see if I don't know if Matt just to kind of keep piggybacking. I think on the on the manufacturing side, the comment that Victor had about some of the changes that they've seen in terms of process and manufacturing, because I think that, that Atlantic Cape says you know what they're doing and, and the product that they have. You might have just some some nice insight from from your operation, um, Matthew, that might just enlighten some not enlighten, but it would help 
understand some of those changes, the ways that your business has, has changed to keep up with the pandemic? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, our, our, our definite focus on, on at least on, on, on my department side was initially uh, fear of our people getting sick, you know, um, on top of worrying that our business was going to end, not knowing. Uh, we've been pretty aggressive in our facilities responding to it on the, on the human side um, from figuring out how to temperature screen people uh, as, as a condition of the entry into our facility uh, and how to do that legally without violating anybody's privacy rights or, or anything like that. Um, social distancing on the floor, modifying our, some of our processing lines, adding some conveyors to, to, to separate, uh, to create greater distance with people. We're in the midst of uh, installing uh, plexi screens uh, between workers as a as a secondary uh, measure to the distancing, um, and to sort of piggyback on what uh, I think it was Victor was saying was that it, right? It's 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 it certainly refocused our facilities on GMPs and hygiene and and you know, the need to continuously communicate that and, and monitor that with our people. Not, not that we weren't anyway, but maybe more, uh, more, more so. Um, and I think a lot of this is potentially, I hate to use like the new normal, but I mean, I think this might change a lot of the way we, well, you know, you know, our, our PPEs and our and our programs and everything evolving around the safety of food, and uh, as far as from a, from an illness-born pathogenic microbiological, whereas you know there's definitely a, a new focus on 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 achieving the same protections for uh, for the people. And when you think about seafood, it's it's all about the people. It's, it's those people that are raising, you know, seafood or catching seafood processing and having it flow through, you know, the supply chain. So I think, I think that's a really great message that, you know, you always, there was, in, you always cared about the people that were there doing the work, but um, I think it's also really important for this kind of situation to have everyone refocus you know, on, on really right. what's important in that human, a human elephant, a, a, the human ele, element of the seafood industry. Right. And that's, that's really, you know, what we're all doing here. So I really appreciate that. That part of the message is let's, you know, what are we trying to do? Who are we trying to keep safe? Um, obviously we want to put a, a, one of the, the healthiest protein we can on the table for the consumer, but let's make sure that we're taking care of everyone along the process in, in the process. So I, I really appreciate that message. Is there, is there anything, any other ways um, that anyone would add? Um, I know obviously, so, so Sarah Preet, you are looking at that full production chain. Um, you know, Debbie Seafoods is, is 
looking at the entire thing. So have there been any really big changes? I know you spoke a little bit about workforce and reductions and things like that, but is there anything else you would add from the production side? Yeah, on the production side, I mean, we have started, <clears throat> we are from uh, March itself, uh, we had that uh, screening, we started the screening and uh, putting new policies and uh, training workers on the social distancing and uh, extra hygiene uh, washes and then our the transport vehicles which we have, uh, we are reduced the capacity to almost one third to accommodate social distancing. So they are doing more rounds to get the workers into the factory. And uh, <clears throat> of course, there's a free, a frequent, uh, we have the hygiene checks and uh, uh, they are already uh, uh, providing, uh, PPEs are already uh, provided to them. And uh, with uh, <clears throat> lesser workforce, also the social distancing uh, is working for us. And uh, fortunately, uh, we haven't had any issue uh, so far. I think it's important to note that seafood suppliers, particularly uh, processing facilities, were kind of yeah. ahead of the game already when this happened because they, especially yeah. um, facilities that have been audited and certified by, by different certification groups like BAP or ASC, MSC, um, well, not MSC, but um, they were already taking every precaution for seafood safety for food safety in general safety. which is going to give them a head start just like matt matt was saying um it's going to give them a head start on what they need to do to protect their workers as well so we were in a pretty good place and i want to emphasize that this is not a food safety um issue that we're dealing with in this discussion right now it's it's a it's a it's a human safety this is a social yeah, and, and a, a human health issue that that we are dealing with right now and so i want to reassure to anyone who is a viewer or a consumer you know that that supply of safe responsible seafood is still as strong as it was correct has, has anyone seen any issues with the actual supply of responsible safe seafood that they can you know get out into into the markets Yeah, we, we haven't. You have, Matthew? I'm saying we, we have not seen any change in, in the in the incoming supply at all. Yeah, so that's something to, to really to really note is, you know, uh, there's been some issues with terrestrial proteins uh, and some shortages. Uh, and I think a lot of that is due to, and this is just my personal opinion, it seems like a lot of that is probably due to um, shipping, transport restrictions, things like that. But um, we haven't seen quite the shortage in, in seafood that we've seen in terrestrial protein. So wh why, do you, why do you guys think that that is? Um, why have we not been experiencing the same kind of issues that other proteins have been? Can anyone speak to that? Go ahead. Yeah, the, the, I think, you know, to, to one sense, I think it's luck uh, because of the timing. Uh, remember when this thing was hot and heavy in China, they were in the middle of the uh, uh, Chinese New Year. So everybody, including ourselves, already programmed that month-long uh, uh, gap in supply. Um, so, so you know, everybody imports a lot of products uh, uh, before the Chinese New Year and uh, to carry them over. And the, uh, so, so that impact from China was not felt 
in reality because they, the only thing they did was they extended the Chinese New Year uh, a few more weeks and they and everybody with the inventory locally was able to handle it. Then the gap in, in India also uh, was timed uh, uh, with some uh, of the, the, the seating part and, uh, and, and things like that. So, so at least for us, we shipped uh, um, uh, stock uh, before uh, India went into lockdown. And, the, uh, and now we may be seeing the, a little bit of uh, Indian uh, product shortage uh, in the near future. Uh, but but he also coincided with the uh, um, um, a gap in production uh, that was normal uh, or programmed. Um, so so for us and Vietnam and Indonesia having really stopped uh, production, uh, we've had some delays uh, because I think uh, I don't know if it was uh, Sherry or the, um, um, or Matthew that mentioned it that the uh, that the there was there's been a shortage in the empty containers, refrigerated containers, uh, and that had delayed the the the, the chain. But the uh, but in reality, seafood hasn't been affected uh, by a shutdown of uh, major uh, uh, processing plants uh, like the terrestrial ones, uh, uh, chicken pork, pork um, chicken pork and uh, and beef uh, in the U- United States. And also, it's not as centralized as the terrestrial. Uh, because you have a mega plants in the U.S. Uh, um, right. that shut down. I mean, it, it affects 10, 15 percent of the production. That's a really, a really good point. Seafood is is very diverse. You know, people are sourcing from all over the world, and if maybe you're struggling to get production out of one country, you may you know be able to shift to a different country. But I also appreciate a little bit of luck, which I think. Maybe we're we're often missing in the seafood industry. There always some, seems to be something that's, you know, keeping us, preventing us from, from really pushing forward. So it's nice to actually have a little bit of luck on our side as well. Yeah. And that's the first time that that's been brought up. I didn't even think about that. The timing with uh, with the Chinese New Year. Um, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people on our platforms, such as the podcast, um, about what's going on and kind of what changes have been happening. And that's the first time that's come up. It's interesting to think about how we were kind of you can never prepare for something like this, but the seafood industry was in a good spot for it to happen when it did. Um, thank you for bringing that up, Victor. That was, that was interesting. Um, so, you know, we, we've mentioned that seafood is doing okay. You know, we're in a good place where we're figuring it out. Um, what activity has anyone's businesses done any activities uh, or participated in any programs or anything that can help others um, as, as we all go through this? Because like I said, it's not a food safety issue. It's a it's a human issue, um, and anything that we can do to help anyone else is is going to be really really important. So, has anyone can anyone speak to anything that they've been involved in that can help others during this time? Yeah, I think uh, I mean in India we had the uh, issue of migrant workers uh, moving uh, around, and I mean because of. A lot of businesses uh, staying closed, but uh, fortunately in seafood, I mean, we have been uh, um, help them uh, stay put in the place, and we have been able to provide them work, and uh, uh, most of them stay in the dorms. So they have continued to stay even in spite of the lockdown, and uh, they didn't have to travel out. So I mean, that one way we, from our, our part, we could uh, help that uh, prevent that migration and. Uh, 
see uh, ensuring their livelihood is uh, secure. Molly, it looked like you had something to say, oh, earlier, yeah. but you were muted. Sorry. Totally <laughs> muted. Um, I was going to, I was asking you actually, if, if there was, so that was really a great separate from, you know, inside, you know, your business world, you were able to really support, you know, workers that you have. I was going to ask, did you mean from a business perspective, Sean? So is there a way that, um, you know, each of you in your business, is there a way that you are supporting fellow businesses, right? Um, obviously there's competition in, in the field, but is there anything that, that your companies um, are either engaging in or that you, you know, would be willing to engage with or support, you know, just the seafood community in general? Yeah, that's great, Molly. Thanks for, thanks for clearing that up. Victor, um, why don't you go ahead and then Matthew? Yeah, just, just real quickly on the, on the business side, what, what I've seen is the, uh, um, some companies that have been, uh, um, heavy on the, um, on the food service side, um, they've been reaching out to other companies such as ours that have a retail outlet and the, um, and, and we've been able to redirect some of that inventory, uh, to, to, to our customers. And, and that helps two ways. It helps them, uh, get rid of that inventory and, and also helps us, uh, in case of there's a, you know, shortage of certain products, uh, um, whatever. So the, uh, we, we, we've been able to, to uh, um, help each other on those. And, the, uh, and, and I think there's been more and more communications amongst industry, uh, among, amongst companies. Um, there was before a, a camaraderie there, but now I think there's just even more uh, where, where you communicate, you know, how is your situation? How is your inventory? What are you doing? I have a program here that I need, uh, um, need new materials. Do you have any, or how can we, we work it out? Uh, so from that point and, and from the social part, I think the, the, one of the things that we've been engaging in is, uh, with food banks and the, uh, and, and maybe some of that food service, uh, inventory that, uh, was all uh, in, in our, uh, in the freezers. Uh, we maybe we have been able to also do some donations and and find outlets like that uh, um, that that would you know help uh, that part and and relieve some of the uh, the pressure that some people have. Matt, you had something? Yeah, it's not going to be a whole lot different than what Victor just said. But we've done some donations. Um, we have uh, there's definitely some information sharing uh, more on the on the social side. Um, I have been talking to other like people in my area and we've been sharing ideas on how best to handle this on the social side. And I will just say that I'm more than happy to do that as well. Uh, if anybody's unsure of their direction, I feel very confident in our, in our current plan and I'm happy to share it. That's great. That leads me right into the next talking point, um, which I'd love to hear all of you weigh in on. Um, you know, what, what recommendations can you guys give from your perspective to others in the seafood industry at this time? You know, we have a pretty good representation uh, with you guys here with, you know, North America, Latin America, India, China. Um, but, you know, we have some folks in the chat room that are from Canada and Germany. You know, we got folks from all over the world. Um, and I'm sorry we couldn't get their perspective on this right now. But um, what what recommendations or advice can you guys give to some other folks in the industry right now that can uh, could help them 
pull out of this or, you know, make sure that they do, do the right thing to make sure that they survive at the end of it. Anyone? <laughs> Sarah Preet. So, yeah, so I think uh, it's important to work with your uh, suppliers uh, to keep them uh, posted on uh, uh, your requirements and how things will move and uh, how things are shaping up at their end. And that's from the business side. And uh, probably the just-in-time inventory model will for this and this situation probably will uh, not really work well. So they will have to plan some extra lead time. And then second part in the, on the food safety part, I think uh, it, it'll be good for, uh, uh, for all the companies to share uh, their best practices and which works for them or which doesn't work for them so that uh, we can keep uh, uh, improving and see uh, which way of uh, monitoring the worker safety works well. So I mean, that will be uh, very important uh, information sharing especially with regard to uh, worker safety. On, on, my, on my end, I think that the, what I would recommend is, is for people to, especially if you're in a, a, a factory or warehouse uh, environment, is uh, to ensure the safety of the uh, employees. Uh, that, that's one of the things that the uh, that we have to be dealing with uh, uh, is how do you uh, um, put things in place that not only protect them but also a, a make them feel safe and um, and how you react if somebody got uh, uh, infected by the uh, affected by the the, the the virus or have been in contact with somebody else. What are the things in place that you have in there? Because if not, you you get massive panic on the, on your uh, workforce and everybody's just going to walk out because they uh, um they they feel afraid so so i think we, if that would be uh, the main thing that i would recommend is uh, uh, to be transparent with your workers and the uh, and also put everything in place uh to make them feel safe and and truly protect them from this Great points all around. Jason, do you have anything you want to weigh in on? or I don't mean to um, put yeah. you guys on the spot, but I, I kind of do mean to put you guys on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to, um, I like Victor's comments a lot about that. I think um, protecting the workers and, and uh, making sure they're safe and that safe work environment is, is really important. Um, it, it was for us, um, you know, we had mo we have multiple factories over different provinces. So um, we had regulations in different provinces that we had to deal with. And, and um, you know, even people at the time when COVID was, was pretty bad in China, um, trying to get people back into into factories was, was, was difficult for us. But um, through procedures and, and making sure everyone feels safe to, to show up to work and, um, you know, safe to go back to the dormitories is, is really important. So your procedures are, are very, very important. Well, they were for us and they worked. That's great. Um, so we're just about wrapping up. We won't go for too much longer, um, but I want to harken back to kind of some things that we spoke to earlier on uh, when, we were when we were talking about innovations or adaptations with this. And, uh, you know, we all kind of had to jump into new technologies or, or utilizing technologies in different ways um, now that we can't, you know, there's restrictions on travel and um, communications. Uh, Victor, you talked about a lot of audits having to go remote 
Um, and I know that that's been a bit of a, Molly, you can speak to this too. Yeah, that's been a, a bit of a bottleneck for um, certifications and, and some of the sustainability um, assurances that, that are out there. Molly, can you just talk about some of the um, issues that facilities have had in regard to that and if that, it has been s affecting their supply chains? Um, sure. Um, so just from, obviously, um, we've spoken a little bit about remote audits um, or even extensions. Sorry about any background noise if anyone hears that. Um, so it has been a challenge. I think it's it's one of those things when you're when you're third-party certification, it's really important. The integrity of the program is is really is critical, right? So that's been one of the challenges is making sure, you know, you're maintaining the integrity of your program while changing the way that you have have done your business. So there have been some, you know, we've been working, you know, from the BAP side of things you know, and other certifications, extensions has been one of those ways that um, we're trying to buy some time so that we can either get physical audits done um, or work through the remote audit process. So it, there have been some shifts and, and some delays, but it's, we're, it's a work in progress. We're constantly um, navigating that space. So I think, I think that what we may find um, going forward is that, um, you know, whether it's, and I think we spoke a little bit about it throughout this call is, is those efficiencies that we found in, in navigating the crisis. Um, those will become new parts of, of our business, the way we do things. Right. And so it's, it's the same way the BAP program is where we stand on it's continuous improvement. So we're constantly improving our standards or, you know, businesses are constantly, you know, improving their process. It has been, um, that's just something that I think as we continue forward, we'll take those, those changes um, that have been made and we will, those will become just regular, you know, business as usual going forward. So I think that's, um, that's what we found. And, you know, it's, I know it sounds horrible, you know, the crying on the, it's, it's not all tears. Um, we are finding those, those good things and we're putting them into our everyday business. So I think that's sort of how we navigated. Yeah, I know that remote audits has been a, a hot topic uh, in a, most of our calls at, at GAA and BAP. Um, do any of you think that this pandemic is going to have any lasting effects on the industry, either good or bad? What do you see moving forward in the future as more permanent changes uh, in, in this industry, whether for the better or for worse? Does anyone care to speak uh, on what they, what they think is going to come down the line? Or any changes that we talked about previously that you have made, you know, where, with remote audits, with, you know, the PPE separation, social distancing, stuff like that. Do you anticipate any of those changes being a more permanent part of your um, production process? You know, uh, who, who someone was going to speak? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I, uh, so I, I, I had a, a few remote audits. Um, I think I kind of have mixed feelings about them. I think that they, I think that they're harder and take longer. Um, only the, only the, the, the communication back and forth spreads it out, uh, spreads it out longer. Um, but I think from a cost and, and, and overall time, uh, standpoint, I think, I think that there there is a a there is a middle ground somewhere where 
where having having uh, having somebody come and stay with you for five full days, uh, maybe we will realize that that's not as necessary. I think his audio might have cut out for a second. Did everyone get that? Sorry. No, no problem. Uh, Jason, Sarapreet, or Victor, do you have any insights on what you think any permanent changes down the road? Yeah, Jason. Um, I was just going to say, um, just looking at this in a, in a positive way, um, and going back to the increase in retail that we've had, um, I. I, and I hope this this lasts. Um, but uh, you know, uh, I think it's great that that people have had the chance to go into the retail store and and, and buy seafood that perhaps they wouldn't have bought before. Um, take it home, try it, and eat it. Um, and that can only be positive for for all of us in the seafood industry. Um, people going in and trying something that they may not try before because they're cooking at home a lot more. And I hope that um, demand uh, remains. Yeah, I, I've heard some reports, and I can't. Um, cite them right right now, but I have heard some reports of specifically frozen seafood going up significant percentages. Some some specifics even up to seventy percent. I've heard um, increase in sales uh, on the retail level, which is you know it's it's a, it's a give and take because there is some you know there's there's a decrease in sales to restaurants and food service, obviously, but a, a higher increase in sales from the retail point of view. So there is there is kind of that balance there, but. Um, I think it's a great, I, I don't want to say this is a good opportunity because we all wish that this wasn't happening around the world, obviously, but it is an opportunity for the seafood industry itself to, um, you know, get, get a wider palette out there for the consumers and, and get their product out there and get, and have a more increased consumption down the road after we're out of this, just because more people have tried it. So that's a really great point. Victor, you had something you wanted to say as well? Yeah, the, the, I think the, what they've been calling the new normal, uh, I think is going to stick uh, at least for, for the short yeah. term, uh, which is, you know, more people cooking more at home, uh, trying different things, uh, uh, making not, not necessarily just a routine uh, um, a meal at home, but uh, more uh, also celebratory uh, uh, dinners at home with, with fancier uh, uh, products or, or ingredients that typically only are consumed at restaurants. Um, that, that's one. The, the other thing is the, the trends in the, in the factories and, and warehouses. Uh, I think it's going to stay for a long time of the, the uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, protections, uh, gears, uh, separation, uh, um, the, the hand washing and, uh, um, sanitizing, et cetera, et cetera. So, so those patterns, I think, are going to hang around uh, at least for the next couple of years. And the uh, and you'll see you'll see more more development in technology. I think, and uh, uh, as far as the uh, um, just to, to pick up on Matt's uh, comment on the remote audits, uh, uh, this was like the schools that they got thrown into a virtual school from one day to the other. So they had to scramble and and, and make something out of it. I think that the remote audit uh, may develop in, into something that will be uh, uh, maybe we'll go one year remote audit uh, uh, or electronic audit. The next year will be a, a physical audits. So, so that's going to really exactly. the uh, the pressure on the uh, 
uh, on travel and, and on physical the, uh, things and cost. So, so those trends, I think, are going to hold on the, uh, for a little bit, if not forever. So, that's great, Jason or Sarah Preet, Do you have any points? Yeah, uh, on the positive side, if you look at it, uh, with all the lockdown and whatever is uh, going on, I think uh, uh, everyone is more. Uh, focused and uh, cautious about uh, hygiene and sanitation. So that uh, helps you in your production, that uh, all your employees are more aware of what is going on and uh, uh, <clears throat> with regard to uh, production and uh, you will probably uh, require lesser monitoring because they'll uh, self-monitor. So that is on the positive side and probably we could see more of automation on the uh, production side to maybe uh, uh, to uh, wherever there's uh, more of a human interaction to, to reduce handling of the product. I mean, we could see something uh, coming up in the future if the situation continues. Yeah, it's, uh, it's there, you know, there are some things that are going to need to be implemented in regards to like what you said, like the safety protocols for people, the, the PPE, you've all kind of brought it up that we can only hope just sticks around forever because it's just, it just makes your company better and it makes you, you a better producer. What about, you know, the, we're talking about the supply chain and how the supply chain is reacting to this. And a big part of the seafood supply chain is restaurants. Um, yes. And what do you anticipate, uh, you know, is going to change down the line? Because right now restaurants, the sales to restaurants is just plummeted. And, um, you know, how long do you think it's going to take for that, part of the supply chain to get back in the action of everything and uh, what shifts do you see um, happening in the near future and in the distant future? Does anyone have any insight on that? Uh, restaurant sales? Probably restaurants uh, will uh, probably, I, I think uh, restaurants will see uh, more of uh, takeaway business will go on rather than the dining. So probably products requirement for uh, which cater more to uh, portion pack product or uh, which is easier for the restaurants to cook and uh, serve will come up and uh, maybe more value added product in the retail. So, I mean, as people adjust to the new normal, then probably more innovation will come and that probably will flow, flow back to the, I mean, to the production sources where we need to adjust the production to change either the packaging or uh, uh, value addition, what we need to deliver. So it'll so be a that little, will probably yeah. take some time. Yeah. Yeah, so you think it'll be kind of a shift in in the type of product that we're producing to make sure that there's something that's usable for restaurants as they need to make changes. Yes, yes. And restaurants are also, I read, they're offering some semi-made, uh, ready-made meal kits and also something mm -hmm. like that probably will, uh, 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 consumption of uh, those products will probably increase. And then with uh, more volume, probably you'll have it, uh, more you can get more economical products. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm curious, Sarah Preet. Um, I don't want to, you know, block anyone else out, but um, yeah, are restaurants open in India right now, or are they are they only open for uh, takeout? Yeah, they're opening up from it. They already opened up uh, opened up for takeout from uh, this Monday. From next week, next Monday, I think they're all all open. Okay, so do you do you see, get the sense that people are going to be doing more dining in once those restaurants are able to do that? Uh, I think initially the people will be reluctant because even the, the products, yeah, even the products which uh, come home for delivery, people are 
sort of uh, sanitizing the products and then taking care. And then uh, once we have clear, uh, I think as uh, with time, you'll know how the virus behaves and uh, what kind of precautions are more apt. And some some places we might not be acting and some places may, we might be doing more than what is required. So once something evolves, you know more about the virus, then uh, we have a more efficient way to deal with it. And then people will be more confident uh, in going out. Yeah. Jason, what about in China? What's the, what's the restaurant vibe over in China right now? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say sort of in the last uh, couple of weeks, um, it's really, uh, I wouldn't say it's back to normal, but it's certainly a lot more people dining out. Um, just uh, a few days ago, I went to the shopping mall, which is within a mile of where I live and certainly a lot of people eating out and, and um, enjoying being in the mall and, and getting out and about. Um, it does seem to be um, a younger crowd, um, but uh, definitely seen a, a big spike and in increase in people um, just wanting to get out and eat out, um, which is nice to see. Great. Victor, do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, no, well, just just very short. Uh, in what, what we've seen here in, uh, in, in South Florida is the, uh, the, the, they're tending or trending towards outdoor seating. Mm-hmm. So even restaurants that didn't have outdoor seating, now they are either closing the club, the, the, the boardwalk or the, uh, or the street or, or the, the sidewalk and uh, putting out uh, tables and chairs because they, people seem to be uh, more comfortable uh, outside. And on top of that, they, they are able to increase density because uh, we're only allowed to uh, uh, dine in the, uh, 50% capacity indoors. And that that's not going to pay the rent. Um, so, so they are kind of sub- subsidizing it by outdoor seating. Yeah, we've been seeing that up in New Hampshire as well. Um, and Molly, I don't know what you've seen in Massachusetts. I haven't really ventured into Massachusetts in a couple of months, but um, we've been seeing the same thing. Some restaurants have started to open up a little bit, blocking off parts of their parking lots um, and putting tables out there at, at you know separated at certain distances. So it's it's an interesting thing. But I know here in the states, people are really clamoring to get back for dining in at restaurants. So um, I'm I'm interested to see once that opens up, what kind of how how that's going to affect the seafood sales here in the U S but it it was great to hear about what's going on in other parts of the world. So we only have about five more minutes. So um, thank you guys so much for joining us. And I wanted to see if any of you had any last comments you wanted to say, or if you had any questions for anyone else on the call. No. All right. Well, if not, thank you guys so much. Again, we are joined by Matthew Grolnick from Atlantic Capes Fisheries, Jason Carter from Bayang Investment Group, Sarah Preet Singh from uh, Devi Seafoods, Victor Garrido from Corch Foods, and Molly, uh, Molly Jakes from BAP and GAA. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, viewers, for watching and listening and taking the time and everyone that's been active in the chat. I haven't had a chance to review that yet because obviously we've been in conversation, but um, if you have questions for any of our presenters today or myself or Molly or anyone else at GAA, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'll, we'll supply some email addresses um, afterwards to anyone who registered on the Eventbrite page. But if there's nothing else, guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate you helping out and good luck with your businesses. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. Great. Bye.